0: Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider, and today I'm gonna to be talking about the Thunder's latest game against the Portland Trail Blazers. The stars of the show from the Oklahoma City Blue, breaking down how all three of the ten-day assignees participated, and what is upcoming. For the team moving forward and to top it all off guys I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook so you do not want to miss out on that but starting things out at the Paycom Center Oklahoma City fresh off of a victory sort of on the prowl for getting back up into top three lottery standings Detroit and the Thunder were separated by half a game going into this one. And with a loss, you could tighten that down to a tied record with them moving into the final three games. And for the Thunder, they made a lot of rotational changes going into the lineup. And it started with the two signings we saw yesterday. I covered both Xavier Simpson and Georgios Kalatkis in depth yesterday, so I highly suggest listening to that pod if you want more extensive background on either of those two guys, but they signed them from the Oklahoma City Blue, and this isn't just a thing where they lodge them in the bench, you know, I thought they were going to run a 10-man rotation in this game, that wasn't the case, Kalatakis and Simpson got to have their first career NBA starts in this one, Jalen Horde got to start in this game, and they basically were just running... The Oklahoma City Blue on the floor. Now, for the Pistons, their team's not much different. And they don't have a G League system. So they're all NBA standard contract guys. But you could see some of these people playing uh, in the G League. So they had Chris Dunn and Keon Johnson at the two guard spots. CJ Ellaby was at the three. Greg Brown, the third, was at the four. And Drew Eubanks was at the five. Basically, you're seeing the bottom of the benches for both teams here. And for the Thunder, they just implemented Grant Gibbs' system. They just poured it over a couple of their better players and said, let's just play ball. Let's see how it goes. And to the common eye, you know, this just looks like a tank effort from the Thunder camp. You know, you go from everyone on the injury report just being like SGA, Lou, Giddy, and now you're not even playing guys like Teo in the game, Poku's not out there, JRE's not out there, looked a little bit fishy, but from what Mark said, you know, he said that they kind of had an evaluation process the last two, three weeks to get a grip on what they want to do moving forward, and for those other guys, you know, they want to give kind of a reward to the people who've been with the blue, such as Horde, such as Simpson, and obviously Kalatakis, who joined the team in January. So that was the explanation. Works with me because I've been covering this blue team, man. I wanted to see them play some basketball, and that is exactly what they did. So you get into action, and Xavier Simpson gets the first bucket. Just simple penetration. Goes in for the beautiful layup. No hook shot there, but it puts him up 2-0. And, you know, that gives you some good hopes uh, leading into the course of play. The problem... OKC sort of stagnated. You saw the Trailblazers slowly but surely kind of pull away here. Now you didn't see any major effects in the first quarter. For the most part, it was kind of just changing leads. Lindy Waters caught fire. He had eight points in four minutes in this first, uh, and OKC ultimately had the lead through one quarter. It was just at twenty-seven to twenty-nine, though, or twenty-nine to twenty-seven. Excuse me. And it was about as neck and neck as you could get it. Lots of interior play. You know, the way that I've always viewed the G League and how it operates, the centers tend to be the stat sheet uh, stuffers because they have the height for athletic bigs. That's going to be a big advantage for them. That's why guys like Moses Brown just kill when they're playing other G League competition. And. Practically, we saw that, you know. Outside of Lindy, the main scores were guys like Jalen Horde and Isaiah Roby. And for the Trailblazers, they were looking towards Greg Brown, an uber-athletic power forward right around the cup for a good cut of their points. And going into the second quarter, they continued to put the pressure on Oklahoma City. This time, Greg Brown continued. He had seven points in the second quarter, for Keon Johnson, he was rattling down a pair of threes, and for Oklahoma City, their G Leaguers just could not continue the pace. They shot eight of nineteen in the second quarter, zero of seven from downtown, and they got outscored twenty-seven to nineteen in the quarter. That gave the Trailblazers a six-point lead going into halftime at fifty-four to 48 and when you look into it still remained battle the bigs Greg Brown had 12 points on five of six shooting for the Thunder Jalen Horde was leading the way with 10 points and seven rebounds credchy also had some success just driving inside all four of his made buckets in the first half came right around the basket and everybody else was sort of iffy uh, if you will one cool highlight though was we saw Xavier Simpson hit his first hook shot in the NBA. Beautiful right-handed hook, 10 feet away from the goal, nothing but net. Drew Eubanks, I don't know if he just hadn't seen a guy go up with a hook in a while or what it was. He didn't even try contesting it. He just kind of stared at him and watched the ball go in the bucket. The Thunder were on. Uh, their side of the floor in the first, so SGA got off his seat, I think Baisley mimicked the hook shot as it went up, and everybody was going crazy, you know, this is one of those organizations where it doesn't matter if you're on that NBA team, or if you're with the blue, everyone's sort of intertwined, you know, you basically live in the same area, like, I remember hearing a story that Rob Edwards, you know, after his first pro game, Against the Mavericks. I guess his first made bucket at home, you know, he was just chilling with Lou Dort in his apartment, like right after the game. And that's just how it works. I'd imagine that, you know, for some of these G Leaguers, they're still talking with the NBA guys, and the NBA players have attended Thunder or Blue games. And for some of them, they played on the roster already. So it's kind of like a family between the two units. It's not like, you know, two separate organizations that just so happen to be connected two to two-way contracts, so it was a beautiful sight to see that you know for fans who didn't know about Xavier Simpson that was a cool moment for Michael Cage and Chris Fisher I'm sure the game notes just had his name circled and it's like guys if he hits a hook shot you need to talk about it for five minutes they talked about it for 10 and I was not upset about it for one second there um, <laughs> you can't really blame him either because you know that's what they had to offer during the first half this was a game that's you know, kind of was just a back and forth with not a lot of defense, but not a lot of main buckets off of what basically happened to be a shoot around game going into that third though. You started to see the trailblazers just pull away. They cracked the code, got into double digits, and it looks like they were just going to be steering the game. And they had a really good run. Um, not just in the second quarter, they had like, a 10-2 run. But in the third, they ignited. They went on a 15-5 run in the first four minutes of the third, propped them up big time, and they were just around the corner of a 20-point lead in the frame. Ended up settling with a 28-19 advantage going into quarter number four, and that put them up 82-67. So they had a 15-point lead, and Oklahoma City Let's just call it how it is. They were lost. They could not find buckets. Shots were wide open for them. It wasn't a matter of not being there, you just couldn't hit it. And, you know, for some players, like turnovers were a major concern as well. So they were just shoveling away possessions, giving the Trailblazers extra opportunities. And you started to see some players catch fire again. Drew Eubanks had eight points in the frame, Keon Johnson was picking his spots they shot 61% in the third. And for the Thunder, they shot 8 of 22. Only ran five players in the third quarter. You had Simpson, Kalatkiss, Horde, Roby, and Sar playing together. That's not a roster that's going to yield many threes. I'll tell you, looking on paper, your best three-point shooter would probably be Isaiah Roby. And maybe Saar would be second place. Simpson has been on a hot streak in the G League, but he's not a three-point shooter. He didn't look comfortable in this game shooting threes, and he shanked the one he took in the quarter. But basically, they had to pack the paint and mission accomplished. They got what they wanted. Looks like they had complete control of the game going into the final quarter of play. And for Oklahoma City, they didn't really change their recipe whatsoever. They weren't playing... Lindy Waters passed the first frame, just had six guys at their disposal, and basically they just ran their G League team to close the game. Everyone was playing 40 plus minutes here, and for the Portland Trailblazers, they still had their full roster enlisted, so it looked like Portland was going to win the game. They continued to keep that 10 point lead probably until like the mid portion of the fourth quarter. And then you just started seeing very weird occurrences happen on the stat sheet. 19-point lead we're talking about, folks. The offense just completely shuts down for Portland. And on the flip side, Oklahoma City, they start hitting a couple buckets here and there. You know, Xavier Simpson, he's leaning back into his hook shot. Isaiah Roby's getting to the paint. Jalen Horde is collecting anything he can off of putbacks and the aggression was just obvious with with the Thunder group like the Trailblazers they looked lost and they couldn't get the buckets they were used to finding the centers and Drew Eubanks and even a guy like Greg Brown they weren't looking to shoot the basketball this was turned into a three-point game for the Blazers and they continued to just shoot themselves out of the contest on the other end OKC was still working around the basket, second chance points were fruitful as can be, and they started finding some very lucky possessions. Georgios Kalatkis, let me just talk about him for a second. He shot 24.1% from three this year in the G League. He's not a three-point shooter, he's never been a three-point shooter, and he sure as heck is not consistent at the foul line. This is someone who will get you points in transition and he'll play defense for you. He's very raw as a prospect. Back-to-back threes. Hits them both. Cuts the game from 12 to 6. Portland's not calling timeouts. They're continuing to see the lead just sputter. And off a Xavier Simpson reverse layup, Oklahoma City ended up taking the lead inside four minutes. This was a ridiculous run. At one point, OKC mustered up a 14-0 run, and they never looked back. Turnover immediately after OKC takes the lead. What does it lead to? An Olivier Saar tip in. The, the glass was just right there for the taking this entire game, and they kept picking at it. Off of Ben McElmore miss. Crutchie gets down the floor. Hits a three-point shot. Now they're up six points. And it just grew and grew. The Blazers were just shooting threes, praying they went down. They didn't go down. And there were about no repercussions for them, you know? For the Blazers, they're kind of in the tank race. If they lose, they lose. They're not playing their starters. OKC definitely isn't playing their starters. But you could see that there was some cohesion building between these blue guys. For some of them, they haven't played together in months, but it was kind of back to the norm where you're setting a high uh, high ball screen up top, Simpson's driving inside. If he doesn't see anything, he'll kick it outside. And, you know, off a missed three, you got SAR and you have Jalen Horde, two extremely active bigs around the basket, and they were going to clean that up anytime they had the opportunity. OKC finishes the game on a 26-4 to run. Portland shoots 2 of 12 to end the game, and they steer the biggest comeback probably of the season. One of, if not the biggest. For them, that swings them to 24 and 55 on the season. They are now only half a game ahead of fifth in reverse standings, and they're a full game behind Detroit for a top three finish in lottery odds. I'm going to be breaking that down a little bit here in addition to what we saw from the scorecard in one second. But first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Two titles are up for grabs on the stacked UFC 273 fight card. Join the action with DraftKings Sportsbook the official sports betting partner of the UFC. New customers can bet $5 on any fighter and get $100 in free bets. Win or lose, guaranteed. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the excitement. Everyone can play for a share of millions in prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy MMA Contests, draft your lineup of fighters while staying under the salary cap, and rack up points for strikes, takedowns, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, throw down $5 on UFC 273, and get $100 in free bets no matter what that's code TBPN this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC 21 plus age requirement. restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Moving on though, guys, I want to talk about the ins and outs of this game. I would be lying if I told you this was a smooth game. This did not look like an NBA contest for the majority of the night. And I'm not just saying that because a lot of these people are G-leaguers. I think that a lot of the G-league games have been at very high levels. It was just very chaotic. And I'm going to hone in on the first half in particular because there was just turnover after turnover. Georgios Kalatkis had... A whopping, I believe, six turnovers in the first half alone. He couldn't catch a basketball. You know, if if the ball went over to him, he had butter fingers. Just turned it into free points for Portland. And they just ran with it. And this wasn't just with him. You know, you started to see a lot of errant passes where it went the other way, and you know, that's obviously gonna end up costly. The Trailblazers finished the game with 12 turnovers. OKC finished with 16. That's more than they had assists, by the way. They only had 15 assists. So it kind of gives you the gauge, right? And even shooting the basketball was a major struggle. Portland barely shot over 40% on the game. For OKC, they were shooting terribly in the first half. They got up to 48%. But holy cow, man. Like you were seeing guys get right around the basket It just brick layups, bro. (laughs) And you would see layups, like finger roll uh, layups were getting airballed. (laughs) And you're just watching. You're like, guys, come on. You got to get these down. Luckily, OKC turned the corner in the end of this game, and you could tell. It's going to sound stupid, but you could tell they wanted this game more. Everyone was scrapping. They were throwing everything out on the line, and they just got it going at the perfect time. They shot 9 of 29 from 3 in this game. That's 31%. But up until the fourth quarter, they were about as ice cold as you could get. They end up shooting 5 of 11 from downtown in the fourth. 45.5% and they ride off into the sunset with the victory. How did they do it? They did it with their G League players. And this was a well-rounded effort. Like, they only played 7 of them. Everyone except for Lindy Waters had double digits, and Lindy had eight points in four minutes. Basically, Lindy Waters was too good to be playing tonight, and that's that's a really good statement for him. It lets you know that he could very well be safe next year. He's so confident when he touches the floor, and his transition three has come a very long way, and he almost cracked double digits in like five minutes, you know? So... You got to code it basically through your G-Leaguers. The only person who isn't really a G-League guy is Isaiah Roby. But for Horde, Kredgeek, Haligzakis, Simpson, and Sar, played a good portion of the year in an Oklahoma City blue jersey. And the top man of the game has to go to Jalen Horde. He's been on a, a man on a mission the last three games. Since he got picked up and he's been getting minutes, no one's been able to stop him. He played 46 minutes in the game. You got to keep that in mind. But you would never know. You know, he was energized the entire course of the evening, and he finished the game with 24 points and 21 rebounds. Yeah, heard that right, and he shot 11 of 17 to get there. That's the seventh time in franchise history someone has logged a 20 point 20 rebound game and no one has done it this season. Horford ended up being the first this year to drop 20 rebounds. Did it Friday against the Pistons. Comes out, tops it again, and gets the 24 points to go along with it. What a show he put on. And he added three assists as well and three blocks. Just the energy level with him has been insane. He, going into this contract... Had already proven himself in a couple areas, right? Like, even last year, I was really impressed with his finishing ability. He is very good at both kind of steering away from contact, but also absorbing it and getting to the basket. When he absorbs as well, he's picking up a foul call if the bucket doesn't go in. We didn't see a ton of that in this game because a lot of his uh, buckets just came from like bang-bang plays. But he still shot six free throws he very well could have gotten 27 28 29 points he shot one of six at the line so he left five on the table but he was still picking up extra opportunities around the cup and when he wasn't getting fouled he was just soaring up above like everybody tossing the ball back in and getting on the other end he has been just a spark plug there's no better way to put it and I think you have to attribute it to how he's played with the Oklahoma City Blue. It was not great when DJ Wilson got hurt. OKC really didn't have the same identity anymore. DJ Wilson was clearly the Blue's best player. You know, if you needed two points, you tossed it to him off of a screen. He could pop it from the mid range or just post up around the basket. And once he was gone, you were left stranded. Jalen Horde had to play the center spot, and Horde can't shoot a basketball, right? Like, I hate to say it, but he still has to kind of hone in on that area of his game. He has moments where he can go off, but he's not like Wilson where he's going to consistently hit the free throw line shot, and from three, he's not consistent there either. So he's more limited as a player but what it did was it had to make him a lot more physical around the bucket, not just off of dump-off passes or rolling to the cup, but also from an defensive standpoint and from rebound standpoints. He's having to go up against 6'10", six, 6'11", six, guys that have 3-4 to four inches more on him. That was every single game for about three weeks. It was not pretty. I remember seeing Nathan Knight for the Iowa Wolves drop 35 points on his head. And I think he had damn near 20 rebounds. It was nothing short of an obliteration. That was a bit of a growing pain, right? And I think that is a very valuable experience for him because it built him up. And by the time the Thunder called him up, he was a much different player around the basket. You could tell from a physical standpoint, he always had his nose around the basket. Prior to him playing center, you saw him kind of sagging off in the mid-range, and off of a missed shot, sure, he'd get involved, but you could tell, you know, he was still thinking about getting on transition defense. He just crashes the glass all the time now, and it's made him a serious threat, and it worked against the Pistons, and it worked against the Trailblazers. He found that formula, and because he's so fast, he's about 6'8", let's say 230 pounds, Very fast at his frame. Sneakily athletic as well. He's causing some problems. And because he's just throwing his body on the line, a lot of guys right now aren't going to match up with him. You know, for people who have already secured a contract or they've already secured that playoff spot, let him have it. He's just been extremely rowdy. And this whole thing of Oklahoma City being a pesky team, being a group of just youngsters who need to make an impact. Jalen Hort has embodied that this last week, and he's put himself back on the map. After last season's two-way contract, he had some good moments, but I don't think that he proved himself to be an NBA player yet. Over this G League season, he's refined his skills, and coming over here, he's probably been the Thunder's best player in the last week. He's averaged 13 points and 15 rebounds in his last three And this includes a game where he only had four points and four rebounds. I think he's showing that, you know, for a team that needs a backup power forward, he could be a viable option. He's still not spreading the floor out for you, but everywhere else, I'm really loving his game. He's only 23 years old, so there's some room in the growth plates. I think he's ready for a better look. And this inspection that he's getting has been beautiful. I'm very happy that this happened, and this is exactly why... I've been clamoring for the Thunder to use their hardship exception even whenever they were just running seven or eight guys. You know, if they don't have them in the future plans, it makes sense, of course, but you're going to miss out on performances like this and potential diamonds in the rough. Jalen Horde has done a great job in his second season back in a Thunder jersey. Same goes for Xavier Simpson. He's played under the Thunder organization for the last two years. Seventh pick in the 2020 G League draft, led the blue in assists last year, led the blue in assists this year, but he also really amped up from an offensive standpoint. He was looking to get his around the basket from downtown. He looked very consistent. In his NBA debut, he got to play 44 minutes at the point guard spot. And I'm not going to say this was perfect for him because... Simpson wasn't always looking to have the basketball in his hands. It looks like there were some nerves, maybe. He'd kind of sneak around and hide in the corner. He's not much of a three-point shooter. He doesn't sit in the corner at the G League level. He has the basketball in the half court, and he's looking to orchestrate. When he had the ball up top and he was looking to attack, he was a problem. He finished this game with 10 points, 3 rebounds, and 5 assists. And three of those makes came off of post hooks. The question that I came up with last last night was, you know, is that shot going to translate? Everywhere he's gone at this point, it's worked wonders. Took a year for him to really dominate off it at the G League ranks. Like you saw a hook from him once every two, three games with the blue and the bubble. This year you saw two or three hook attempts per game at the G League. And and this one he just casually strolled in and started, you know, hitting them. I think he shot three or four on hook shots. One of them got rejected, but when they weren't getting swatted, they were going right inside the cylinder. He's a very fun player. That shot in of itself is very marketable. So I know social media sites are like loving this guy. I'm loving him too, don't get me wrong. But yeah, he is a very fun guy to throw into the mix. Also said it yesterday, but like, if you were to tell me who deserves the NBA call-up the most, Xavier Simpson's very high up on the list. He has been a top NBA guy, or G League guy, for the last two seasons. There hasn't been many major drop-off, drop-offs with him. Like He's always been consistent as a passer. The assist-to-turnover ratio has always been in the positives for him. And he's made great strides on the offensive end. I'd almost argue that he could have been in contention for most improved. Now, he's not going to be there because he was still solid last year. I think if you're going for a team aspect, though, he took the biggest jump. And now he comes over to the NBA, and he's still very smart as a playmaker. He shows you everything that he was doing as a penetrator. And he still left more on the table because he didn't look comfortable as a shooter. Tonight, if he goes on the attack, he's looking to get his from all three levels, I'm sure we're going to have another very good discussion about Xavier Simpson, but I'm very excited to see him, and I'm very excited that he excelled the way he did in the half-court level. He's only six feet tall. That's not great for him. He was going up against Keon Johnson most of the night. He's 6'5", he's very athletic, and truthfully, he was getting beaten at some moments, but he picked up the slack late, made some very clutch passes. In particular, Georgios Kalixakis whenever he hit his three. And he steered the ship in the win. There's a reason they call him Captain Hook, guys. Shot translated over. Next three games, we're going to continue to be talking about that hook shot. For Georgios Kalixakis, he also was pretty good. And from all of the 10-day signings, Calixakis has to be the most, not confusing, but like mystifying. Because you have a lot of very talented guys for the Oklahoma City Blue. There's still Jamias Ramsey, Rob Edwards, and multiple other players out there that could be deserving of a 10-day call-up. Georgios Calixakis was in that group, but he wasn't consistently starting and offensively, He really wasn't turning out much. He was more or less just someone that filled in the gashes and played decent defense. He gets the call up and it was not his night going into it. Already mentioned it, but he had six turnovers by halftime. I think he had seven points as well. Had the seven points on a really bad shooting clip. Comes into the second half, completely changes the script. Finishes the game with 17 points and three steals. Across 43 minutes, he went 6 of 13 from the field, and from distance, he didn't shoot well. He shot 2 of 7, but the two that he made were arguably the biggest threes Oklahoma City had on the evening. already mentioned the stat of him shooting 24.1% from three. He's not known for his shot. He didn't shoot well in the game, but he shot well when it mattered, you know? and defensively too multiple times just like a free safety he snuck in the passing lane tipped the ball took it the other way had a coast to coast dunk and he was just thriving off it that's what you get in a 6 foot 7 player who has a 6 foot 10 wingspan very lengthy very pesky as a defender and if he's not getting it done offensively he can get you somewhere on defense i think that's why the blue ended up claiming him off waivers in December, it's why they ultimately called him up, I don't know if he's really on the list for an NBA deal next season, maybe you keep him with the blue, and you give him another development year, I think it's strategical why they selected him though, for that second 10 day contract, and I was very happy to see how he performed, he's still extremely raw in multiple areas, he shot 3 of 8 from the foul line, and he just didn't look comfy, uh, comfy, from downtown but he was taking those shots he was taking the risks and the risks paid some dividends got them the w as for other players in the game you did see isaiah roby drop 18 points vid Credci had 11 points on 5 of 10 shooting and olivier sar had 10 points and 12 rebounds big time victory for them and for the tank crew This one could be viewed as a nightmare. Put this out on Twitter. But I said, like, just being part of or covering a team that's like tanking is very interesting. Because if you told me two years ago that almost an entire fan base would be going crazy over Josh Hall and Georgios Kalagzakis. I would have laughed at you and I would have said, who are those guys? You know, both of them were basically undrafted. Georgios was the last pick in this year's draft class. Hall went undrafted. I would have laughed at you and I would have been like, what are you talking about? That's the state we're in, you know. People are getting furious. They think it's Armageddon. When Josh Hall drops 25 points and Georgios Kalixakis drops 17 points, against the trailblazers and it all comes down to the ping pong balls man I'm with them on that standpoint and I've been this way all year but like you want to prioritize getting better lottery odds of course you do if these guys drop 17 if they drop 25 feel happy for them at least like that's a hell of a game and these guys are fighting for contracts It's a tough break though, because if the Thunder end up getting the seventh pick or the eighth pick in this draft, everyone's going to turn towards the Kalixakis game or the Jalen Horde games and say, that's why we don't have Paulo. That's why we don't have Chet, Jabari Smith, Jaden Ivey, whoever it is. That's where the fall goes. The thing is like, everything's going to be in hindsight once the draft lottery is unveiled. Last season, everyone was going crazy when the Thunder won the coin flip. The Thunder had the sixth pick. The Cleveland Cavaliers, who lost the coin flip, had the third pick. It's always random, and you want to get yourself in the best position. You want to have the best draft odds, but in hindsight, having the sixth Best lottery odds could get you the number one selection, and that's just how the system goes. It's not meant to produce, you know, what the reverse lottery odds are to a T. It's not going to be Houston number one, Detroit, you know, number three, whatever you want, Orlando at number two. They always have a curveball or two in there, and that's just how it ends up operating. For me, the only thing that I get a little upset about is the draft range, because if OKC is not in the top four, that's where it gets scary. You know, with the fourth best lottery odds, they could end up with the eighth pick in the draft. Now, that's if the top four teams are all crazy, you know, but it could happen. You know, honestly, I think chances are like two teams that are projected outside the top four get a top four pick. That leaves OKC right back where they were last year, right at pick number six. And that could push them away from not just the top four guys, but someone like Shaden Sharp, who is viewed as a very intriguing candidate and someone who could be an all-star. Didn't play college ball this year, number one high school prospect last year. That's a tantalizing piece, and that's a high-risk, high-reward that OKC might want to take a swing at. That's what sucks, but for me... I don't think it's worth going crazy over just yet. Show me the odds and then I'm going to complain. I just really like the dynamics of what's going on because it's so weird. It's like an alternate reality from what you had when OKC was contending. You know, in this situation, you'd be praising Georgios or Josh Hall, (laughs) but they're looking to lose now, man. And when you make a 26 to 4 comeback, a lot of people are going to be a bit disgruntled. We'll see how it goes in tonight's game against the Utah Jazz. Either way, I'm going to be very intrigued with what that final stat line ends up saying. Big time game, though, from those trio of blue guys. They didn't even make the playoffs this year. They went 15-20. Basically beat an NBA team, though. And... You have to be really, really confident about it, not just for those guys and their potential futures, but just how the blue have been built. I've stated that I think the blue on paper is one of the better teams in the G League. It's how it was last year, how it was this year. Even when you take out guys that aren't on the team anymore. Still stacked, like Xavier was great this year, Jamias Ramsey was amazing, DJ Wilson should have been the NBA this entire season, Olivier Saar became a diamond in the rough, same goes with Lindy, and when you add guys like Melvin Frazier Jr., Robert Woodard II, you just continue to build upon what you had. So many different guys were thrown into that roster this season, and I think it became a bit hectic. If they were able to settle like they did in this game, no doubt in my mind, they would have been playing in the playoffs. Just a bad break to close the year. I think they ended 3-9. and nine. Thing is, playoffs are single elimination until the finals. It's a best of three for the G League finals. I don't think those guys are heartbroken whatsoever. If they're on a 10-day, they're making more money than they were on their base level contract. So, I'm not too worried. Congrats to the three 10-day players, and hell, if Presti calls up another one for tonight's game, I'm going to be even more excited. I would love to watch the Oklahoma City Blue play a couple more games and get them back on a bigger stage uh, yet again, but wow, um, amazing, amazing play from them, and that was one of the um, stranger experiences viewing Thunder Twitter on the game just seeing everybody go crazy over uh, uh, games like this are just wild you know like you can get in the lakers twitter space and they're bashing russell westbrook for two hours they're complaining about being dysfunctional and that's because they're losing games for the thunder you're gonna see those twitter spaces and you're gonna see those comments about how everything is dysfunctional But it's because they're winning games, man. Like, what reality are we living in where everyone's just going in crazy over winning basketball games? It makes sense, but holy cow, man, what a freaking time to be following the team and covering it. End of the season's going to be fun. You know, the race is tightening up. Indiana's a half game back. Detroit could sneak in a victory and then we're going to be talking about a number three standing uh, for the closing portions of the year. This blue team, though, could make some surprises. They could get another victory, and then that's when it gets chaotic yet again. So I'd watch out for that. For now, though, I'm just living in the moment. I'm reveling in what we're seeing from these players, and I'm excited for how they're going to be able to finish the last three games but other than that though guys that is going to do it for today's episode i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya